Well, if you haven't just stampeded off to the children's room, why don't we go ahead and lift up our hands. Father, we just say yes, you are worthy. You're worthy of our time. You're worthy of our attention. There is nothing else on this earth that is more worthy. We should set our attention and our affection on you. So right now we choose to do that as we open your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you take hold with us. We ask for your wisdom and your direction in the scriptures this morning. We don't want man's wisdom. We want your thoughts. We know that you inspired the word, and so we want your intentions. What did you mean? What did you want? We just want to give you glory this morning, Lord. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that our hearts are open to receive from you this day. Hallelujah. Come on. Are you ready to receive? Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have for us. We honor your word. We honor your word. We honor Jesus, who is the living word. Hallelujah. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we're going to continue on in our series on the Holy Spirit. You know, I think we'll probably be bringing this in for a landing in a few more weeks, but uh, we still got a lot of great stuff to cover. You know, we don't want to rob you and cut short. We're going we're gonna to honor what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do. And so we'll continue on this week in our, the vein that we've been doing within this series on gifts galore, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, he sent gifts to be used. You know, you just think about how naturally, as a parent, if you, you get a gift for your child, think of, think of what it would feel like if your child saw the gift under the tree and went, no thanks, it can stay there, I don't need it. And as a parent, you're like, no, I went shopping. I tried to think of what would be the best thing that you would like. What would you want to use? And I wrapped it up so that when you open it, you can go, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And so to leave the gift under the tree, just think of as a parent, you're like, man, no, I didn't, I didn't wrap it so that it could look pretty. I put the gift there so that you could open it up and say, awesome, let's play. And so when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, he didn't just write them here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 so that we could go, oh, that's real nice. No, he, he gave us the gifts of the Spirit so that they could be used because they are needed. They are needed in this time that we live in. And so we've, we've already covered the three revelation gifts that we talk about. They, they reveal something. And last week we started talking about the three power gifts, and they do something. And so the three power gifts are the gift of faith, the gifts of healings, and the working of miracles that we find written in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when it comes to the, the, if with the three different categories, the revelation, the power, and the inspiration vocal gifts, it seems like everyone likes to get excited about these power gifts, and they should. These are awesome gifts. But these three gifts are no more supernatural than the other six gifts of the other two categories. And so we need to keep that in mind. We, we exalt miracles, and we love healings and seeing that, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's so awesome. But when someone gives a word of prophecy or encouragement, and some people are like, okay, yeah, whatever. Can we get on with this? I'm sure Pastor Jordan needs to get up there and preach soon. And so we need to watch our hearts when the gifts of the Spirit are moving that we don't esteem some higher than others. You know, we can look, see a word of knowledge like, oh, maybe somebody told her I was going through those things. 
You know, I've had that. You know, just a few weeks ago when I, when I called out knees needing to be healed and like four people came up, there was two other people in the congregation that day that were like, did you? Did you tell him that my knee was hurting today? It's like, no, it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know what's going on in your lives. So we don't need to honor some over others. As Paul said, earnestly desire the best gifts. And the best gifts are the ones that are needed in that moment. And so though we can get excited here as we're talking about the three power gifts, they are just as supernatural as the other six. And so last week we started with the gift of faith, and I, I said it was usually one of the more misunderstood ones, and we defined it as a gift of power that totally anchors the soul in God in overwhelming confidence to operate or receive gifts of healing or working of miracles. And so when the gift of faith, it seems like there's sometimes where it's like, man, I just feel so confident today. I feel like I could tackle the world. That's the Holy Spirit coming hold and grabbing hold with you and letting his faith flow through you. It's the Holy Spirit believing with you right alongside you adding your faith to his. And it's like whatever, whatever you're about to face that day, you know you can't fail because his faith never fails. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he worked with others in the Bible and throughout church history, he'll work with you. He hasn't changed. And so the gift of faith go comes upon you, and it comes with an overwhelming confidence to receive the gifts of healing or the working of miracles. And so we were talking about the working of miracles right alongside the gift of faith last week because they are very similar, but with one very much different. The gift of faith receives a miracle, whereas the working of miracles works a miracle. One is a passive receiving, the other is an active participation. And so there's times where God will call you just to believe with him and let him work everything out. And there's other times where he'll give you the wisdom of what you need to do, and if you don't do it, nothing's going to happen. You know, and we have what we call in Christianity no-fault religion. It's like kind of like, well, it wasn't my fault, God. You didn't do it. And the whole time he was saying, uh, we walk this road together. And that's why I don't like that poem, uh, Footprints. You know, where it's like, well, God, where were you? And he says, well, you notice that there was only one set of footprints. Those are the times that I just carried you. No, he works with you. He does not override you. And so unless we participate... Nothing happens. And so when he asks you to do something, you do it. And so if we want to see more miracles in the body of Christ in this day, there needs to be more participation and obedience. What did, what did Isaiah said is if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. And I remember Brother Hagin in one of his final prophecies in 2003, he got up and he said, this, this generation knows nothing about consecration. And what is consecration? That is setting your heart aside and saying, God, I don't care what I have planned, whatever you want, let's do that. It's saying, yeah, God, I say yes 
in spite of everything else I'd rather say yes to, I say yes to you. And so he said that this generation doesn't know a lot about consecration. It's all about what I want to do today and what I've got planned. And he's saying, why don't you let my plans just blow your plans out of the water because I can do things that you can't do. I have th- can bring things into your life that you didn't even dream. Just as we were singing today, exceeding abundantly. That's what he said. He does above and beyond all that we could ask or think. And so we have to be willing to let go of our plans and say yes to his and work with him and so when it comes to the working of miracles when he gives you instructions do them because as you walk with him things will happen but when you say no things don't happen pretty simple right and we really need to focus more on the working of miracles today because we're living in a time where we need to remember we serve a miracle-working God. And when we listen to Christians talk today, it's all about what they don't have and what they can't do because they can't see beyond the problem that's standing in front of them. Uh, man, we've got our eyes on the wrong thing if you see yourself in a no-win, no-way-out situation because God has never met one of those. Death couldn't hold him. Your problem's not a problem for him. And so when you're thinking, this is where we get anxiety and worry, and we're like, oh, what am I going to do, and I just can't get my way out? That's when our eyes are on ourselves and our own provision. And so we need to remember, we serve a miracle-working God, and church history is filled with astonishing miracles. It's hard to wrap your mind around. The Bible has things that were just like, yeah, I've never seen that. Well, he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. And because he went to his Father, the Holy Spirit has come to make his home on the inside of you. So we need to remember, miracles happen today. It's not We're not living in an age where they've passed where they've gone away miracles are for today man whoo you know on on friday after prayer pastor wendy was just sitting there just talking about all the different miracles that she's seen in her life and and i was like oh yeah i completely forgot about that one sometimes you need to sit down and remember because as he's done before he'll do it again man he's a good god And we also need to avoid the tendency to call natural things miracles. Don't cheapen the real power of God. You know, we hear people say, oh, that was a miracle. And you're like, no, that was just you using natural man's wisdom, which is good. You should be smart. You should do what you know to do. But don't say that that was God coming through with a miracle. Because a miracle is a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. It is a temporary suspension of the accustomed order through the Spirit of God. It's things that natural man can't do. And when when you've hit that wall and there's nothing more for you to do, when he comes through and he breaks all the rules and he breaks down all the walls and things happen that you could never do in the natural. It's like, man, you can't raise the dead. But he can. <laughs> and so when we're talking about the working of miracles, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he says it, and to one he gives the working of miracles. It's the word, two words that he uses in the Greek is energema dunamis. And the word energema is an operation or an outflow or can also be d- translated as an explosion. And so the word energema is where we get our word. Anybody want to take a guess? Energy. What happens when you apply 
energy to something, things happen. Things change. When you walk into your room and it's all dark in there and you flick the light switch and allow the energy to flow to the light, what happens? Light comes on and darkness goes. And so with the working of miracles, it's an explosion or an outflow of energy. And the word that he uses for miracles is the word dunamis, which is the word power. And so we can interpret this as the working or the explosion of power. Now, this should not surprise us even in the slightest. Why? Because Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive that same word, dunamis. And so the, the working of miracles is an outflow of that power that Jesus told us about. And so when we were talking about words of wisdom and words of knowledge, that flows in with what Jesus was telling his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 16. He says, I will lead you and I will guide you into all truth. I'll show you things to come. I'll bring things to your remembrance. We have no problem believing that the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's one vein of what the Holy Spirit does. Today we're talking about another vein, and that's the vein of power where Jesus said, it's coming to you in the form of the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and make his home on the inside of you. So he said, you shall receive power. Everyone say, me. me. He's not talking about someone else. When you receive the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come empty-handed. He doesn't come powerless. And so the word dunamis we've defined in the past, just to remind us, the word strength, power, or ability it's inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Now, that second definition is very important to remember. It's power that is in something by virtue of its nature. And this is why you have to know who you are in Christ and remember what your nature is. That you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been translated into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. You are now sons and daughters of almighty God. What's your nature? You've received the nature of God. He says, I have made them in my image and in my likeness. And the work of Jesus has restored us into that position that the fall robbed us of. And so we need to remember, what is our nature? I'm a son of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. And so there's things that are now natural to you that were no, not natural before you stepped into Christ Jesus. You have to remember what your nature is. But then let's also get the second factor in. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and makes his home in you. What's his nature? He is the third person of the Godhead. We don't ever question God's power. He spoke this word into existence. We don't question Jesus' power. He conquered death, hell, and the grave and rose up victorious. But why do we always question the Holy Spirit's power in nature? He's just as much God as the first two. And that's who's on the inside of you. And so dunamis power is inherent power. It's power that is just natural in a thing because virtue of its nature. Another way that we can define working of miracles is explosions of almightiness. I love that one. 
explosions of almightiness. It's God at work through you into the situations around you. It's, I love how Howard Carter put it. He said, it's almost as if a little bit of the same power that spoke this world into existence, God just kind of like flicked the switch on and let it boom into the situation around you and then poof, turned it off. It's like God himself operating and working through you. And so I think this morning we need to spend a little bit more time on the working of miracles and remind ourselves that God is still God and miracles still happen. And so if you want to join me over in Exodus chapter 14, you can do that. Exodus chapter 14, and here we have the story of the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt in Exodus. Yeah, chapter 14, after we've seen the plagues, we've, they've been set free, and they're on their way, and they come up against a roadblock. And that is the Red Sea is in front of them, and the Egyptian army is approaching from behind them. And the people of Israel, it's amazing how quickly we can forget what God has done. They've just had ten miraculous miracles take place, and now they hit the sea, and the army at their back, and they've already forgotten what God can can do and so they start freaking out and they're like we should have just stayed in Egypt and died there and Moses trying to calm them down in chapter 14 verse 13 he says and Moses said to the people do not be afraid stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today you shall not see no more forever the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace and that seems like the, you know such a great piece of wisdom for the, him to be giving them and it would be if God was wanting to use them to get, use the gift of faith think about it the gift of faith passively receives a miracle and so Moses says just stand still don't do anything just calm yourself down and stand right here it's okay God will do it that sounds like good wisdom if that's the way God wants to work. And we have to remind ourselves that whenever you're in a situation, have you asked God what he wants to do? Or are you assuming? You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And so you may think that you're standing in the right course of action, but have you asked? If God wanted to use the gift of faith, that would be fine if they were standing there because they would just be passively receiving a miracle. But that's not what God wanted to do in the situation. So verse 15 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And so God intervenes and says, No, that's not what I want you to do. I don't want you to stand here. I don't want you to calm down. I want you to get a little action. I want you to get a little movement. And so God says to Moses, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. We often say that God divided the sea, but here God told Moses, you put out your rod in your hand and you divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And so here we see that Moses wanted to take one route and God wanted to take another. And that's why 
Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts, the one that is needed, the one that God wants to use in that morning, that moment. And it took a miracle to divide the sea, but it also took faith for them to step into the gap and walk. Let's just think, use our imaginations for a second. He splits the sea, and the walls go up of water, and then they say, walk. And you're thinking, a second ago, all that water was right here, and now you want me to walk through it. That's got, that's got to take some faith. That's got to take some trust that I'm going to step into the center, and those walls aren't going to come back down on me. It took miracle to separate it, but then faith took hold second. Moses wanted faith to take hold first and a miracle to happen second. And God wanted to do it a different way. But when we look at the working of miracles or miracles in general, miracles at their core are provision. They are a provision of something that you did not have that only God could supply. And in the situation here in Exodus, they could not supply their own deliverance. So God stepped in and provided what they needed. And so when we think about miracles, it's always supplying something that you feel you don't have. The thing is, he's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that what Peter said? He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you may feel like you are at lack. God is never at lack. And remember, one of his names is Jehovah Jireh. I'm the God who provides. He is El Shaddai. He is the God that's more than enough. And so miracles at their core are provision. Provision of whatever it is you need. Whether it be the deliverance, whether it need to be healing, whether it be natural provision, God is able to supply in a way that you cannot. Miracles are supernatural. And so if we jump over to 1 Kings chapter 17, I want to take a look at the story of the prophet of Elijah. And what has happened is there is a drought that has come on over the kingdom, but God has said to Elijah, don't worry about it, I will provide. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 8, we have this. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So God's instructions to Elijah was, go to this place, and this will happen. Right? So there was a participation that was required. It meant that Elijah couldn't go to Jerusalem instead. It meant that he couldn't go to Bethel instead. It meant that he couldn't go anywhere else but Zarephath. Why? Because that's the place God asked him to be. It's very important to be in the place that God has asked you to be, despite all the other places that you feel like you might want to be. Get where God told you to be. That's where provision will flow. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed... A widow was there gathering sticks. And so Elijah's thinking, hey, God said a widow would provide. We gets to the gates. Here's the widow. That was pretty easy. And he said, called her and said, please, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, and please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. 
And so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little bit of oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering these couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Wow. So God said, Elijah, go to Zarephath. A widow will provide. He finds the widow and she's like, I'm sorry, I, I don't got anything. And actually, I don't plan on being alive very soon. That, that's got to be a confidence killer. God, you just sent me here, and the very person you said would provide for me, uh, she's planning on unaliving herself. <laughs> but Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. So here, we now have the widow being put in a position where she now has to follow the instructions of God. Up until now, Elijah has been doing what God had said, and now he's giving her instructions. And he says, I know you only got a little. I know you're planning on eating it and dying. Go ahead first and just give me some of it. She has a choice. She stands at a crossroads. She can say, no. Man, but miracles stand on the other side of your obedience. She could have said no. She only had a little. So, really, what's a little bit less? You're already knowing you're about to die because it's not enough to sustain you and your son anyways. So what's a little? And he says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. That is not natural. So we're standing in the presence of a miracle. That's something that does not happen. And he says, so she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and, she and, and her household ate for many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elisha. Why? Because they followed the instructions and provision flowed. What is God asking you to do in these days? Because when we follow the instructions, the provisions flow. And we say, well, this just doesn't happen. Of course, it's a miracle. It's not natural. And you say, well, that's something that only happens in the Bible. I beg to differ. <laughs> you know, I've seen this happen firsthand. You know, I remember it was, I don't know, it was probably 10 or 12 years ago now. We, we were having special meetings. And we had a guest speaker in. And uh, we had arranged some, someone to make food for us after one of the m meetings because the restaurants would all be closed. And when we got there, <coughs> we had told the caterer, you know, we're going to have like 20 people. And then we ended up like 40 or 50 people ended up coming back. And he's like, we don't have food for this. But yet somehow he just kept serving and the food just kept being there. And we all ate and then there was leftovers. You know, I, I love to talk about my friend Spiros in Greece that he was feeding during the hard times of, uh, of the Greek economic crisis. He was feeding all kinds of people off the streets and it was just like they would have pasta in the cupboard, they would start making a pot and then they'd feed everybody and be like, okay, we've got nothing for tomorrow. They'd come back the next day, open up the cabinet and the pasta was back. 
and that they would make a pot of soup and they would just serve and serve and serve and it would last for days because God just kept multiplying as he was faithful to feed all these starving people off the streets. And so God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can jump into the ministry of Jesus and we see he's got 4,000 people in one occasion and 5,000 in another and he says, hey, let's feed them. And they're like, we don't got food to feed them. He says, what do you have? And they found a little boy with a little bread and a little fish and he blessed it and he broke it and they gave and they kept giving and they gave and gave and gave until all the people were full and then they had baskets left over because miracles are at their core provision of what is needed in that time so what has God told you to do provision stands at the other side of obedience now we can talk about Jesus and multiplying the loaves and the fishes but let's talk about a story that doesn't often get spoken about in Matthew chapter 17 verse 24 it says when they had come to Capernaum those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And the reason why we don't talk about this story is because people hate paying taxes. And so we don't want to talk about this story. And so they, asked, they came to Peter and they said, hey, does, does Jesus pay the taxes? And he said, yes, Jesus even paid taxes. And he says, and when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying. So Jesus has a word of knowledge and knows what Peter is thinking before he even says it. Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of this earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. And so then you would think from that, it'd be like, oh, great, we don't have to pay taxes. You know, they're unlawful. But what did Jesus say next? He says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea and cast in a hook. Take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. That's not something natural. I'll ask Tope because he's a fisher. Have you ever caught a fish and found money in its mouth? No, it's not something that naturally happens, but it was a provision of what was needed in that moment. He said, does Jesus pay the taxes? He said, yes. But I like what he said. He said, nevertheless, lest we offend them. Go and do it. Why is that important? Because so many Christians are just wanting to automatically go against everything and go against everyone. Do you know that an offended heart is a closed heart? That will not listen to you? Will not listen to you about Jesus? And so we like to portray Jesus as the table-flipping Jesus and like, ah, how dare you do this? You know, come on, everything's got to be right. Well, here in this situation, he said, let's not offend them. I'm still trying to talk to them. I'm still trying to sow the word into their hearts. And we need to consider that. You're the, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. I hate to understand what version they're reading out of you. You are the only Jesus some of them will ever meet. Let it be a good Jesus. Let it be a Jesus filled with love. 
a Jesus of provision, a Jesus filled with compassion, a Jesus filled with care, a Jesus who lays hands on the sick, a Jesus who multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Because here, even in this moment, in a category that we all don't like to talk about in his taxes, Jesus said, let's not offend them. Let's open our hearts and leave the door open to minister to them. You know, Peter is no stranger to Jesus providing through fish, right? In his very first encounter with Jesus, Jesus borrows his boat. They launch out into, off the shore a bit while they're cleaning their nets, and Jesus is teaching the people so that his voice can reverberate against the water. It's like a, it's like a, a natural reverberation. It's a sound system because they didn't have speakers and mics. So he backs out off the sea a bit so that Jesus can talk to this crowd while Peter and them just go about doing what they're doing and listening to Jesus. And it says, when he had stopped speaking... He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. That was Peter kind of saying, I don't really want to do this. I think this is a waste of time. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional fisherman. But Peter took that wisdom that he knows, and he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So we're not just talking about Peter's boat, we're talking about his partner's boats are now being flooded with so much provision by a miracle that they can barely float. But nevertheless, at your word, Jesus, I'll do what you said. So miracles at their core are provision. You know, that was Peter's first experience with Jesus. The last story we have between Jesus and Peter is in John chapter 21. After Jesus has risen from the dead, what did Peter and them do? They went back to fishing. And Jesus comes to them and he says, go ahead and throw your net in. And he pulled out a huge hole. It says 153 large fish. And so Peter's trying to haul this thing up onto shore with all these fish that he's no longer a commercial fisherman. That's not his source of provision. He's now a follower after Jesus. He's now a preacher of the gospel. But God still know how to, knew how to bless his heart and provide for him. And he pulls 153 fish up on shore. And Jesus has already got a fire with fish on the coals. He didn't even need the 153 that he just pulled in, but he knows how to bless Peter's heart. He knows how to bless your heart. He knows how to stimulate your faith. I love what Howard Carter said. He said, this working of miracles is indeed a mighty gift, glorifying the God of all power, thus stimulating the faith of his people and astonishing and confusing the unbelief of the world. And so with working of miracles, it should always boost your faith. It should always leave you with confidence like, man, that was awesome. God is so good. I'm so excited to be following. That's what miracles do. They stir up your faith to want to do more, to want to go further, want to experience more. But it says it also is astonishing and confusing the unbelief of the world. Miracles should be turning hearts to Jesus. 
As Peter said in the first spirit-filled message in Acts chapter 22, he gets up and he starts and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. And so he reminds them of the things they've already seen that Jesus did. And the words that he uses, miracles, wonders, and signs. Those are the three Greek words that are used throughout the New Testament for the word miracles. And here puts a little bit of difference in the way that they do, uh, things that they do. The word miracles is the word power. But the word for that they use, here they interpret it wonders. What does a wonder do? It makes you reconsider what you've believed. It makes you stand back and go, huh, that doesn't happen. If that's possible, and I thought it wasn't, what else is possible? If I thought this Jesus was just a natural guy, but now I've just saw what he did, maybe I should reconsider and what do signs do? Signs point the way. Where do they point the way? To Jesus. And that's why we need miracles in these days. And that's why miracles haven't ended is because they're going to point the way to Jesus, not point the way to you, not make you sit back and say, oh, I'm just so blessed. I'm so glad that God has done this for me. No, it's for not just for you. It's to be done through you so that others can see that Jesus is still Lord today. And so the working of miracles is an important one for us to remember. But what about the third power gift? And that is the gifts of healings. And I've left this one for last because this is the one that's simplest to define and it's also the most easily understood out of the three power gifts. It is defined as the supernatural power to deliver the sick and destroy the works of the enemy in the human body. Basically, if there's something wrong in your body, it makes it right. That's easy to understand, isn't it? But what I want you to know about the gifts of healings is the understanding that it's plural, not singular. It is not the gift of healing. It is gifts of healings. What's the difference and why should we differentiate it? When you talk about gift of healing, someone looks at it as it's something that I possess. It's not you being given the gift of healing so that you can lay hands on whoever. It's gifts of healings flowing from God through you to those around you. It's not something you possess. It's something you allow yourself to be a conduit for. Secondly, it's gifts of healings, meaning there's all kinds of different sicknesses out there. Whatever the healing that is needed, that one's the one that God wants to flow through you to those around you. And so it's plural, not singular. And now when we look at Jesus in Acts 10, 38, this is Peter preaching about Jesus to Cornelius. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, dunamis, that's what we're talking about today, right? Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And so we see Jesus had the gifts of healings flowing through him. All who were sick became well. 
He laid hands on many various different types of ailments, and they all became well, because God with, with, was with him. Which tells us it's not because Jesus was special. Oh, I know, I know some people don't like to hear that. Je what Jesus did on this earth, he did as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he said he anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and God was with him. He's anointed you with the Holy Spirit and with power, and God is with you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Even Jesus, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he stood up in the temple and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to say recovery of sight to the blind. That's gifts of healings flowing through him. Hey, the Holy Spirit wants to flow gifts through you. Just like he would want the gift of faith or working of miracles or word of knowledge or word of wisdom, whatever, he wants gifts of healings to flow through you. Why? There's hurting people around you. Let your insecurities fall down. It doesn't hurt anything just to say, hey, I see that you're not doing so well today. Do you mind if I pray for you? But what if nothing happens, Pastor Jordan? You're the one whose heart should just be open to be like, God, I want to be used. Whatever you want, whatever you need, let it flow through me. Pride is a foolish thing. And what do we, what do we know about pride from the Bible? It says pride comes before a fall. But it says the humble, he exalts. He lifts up. It doesn't hurt anything other than your pride to say, can I pray for you? Can I lay hands on you for a moment? And just say, you don't have to pray anything specifically groundbreaking. Just say, God, I just speak healing to this body by the name of Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus said, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He didn't actually say they'll pray for the sick. He said they'll lay hands on the sick. Sometimes it's just enough for you to be around people and be like, yeah, I see you're having a rough day. It's going to be okay. And let the Holy Spirit go to work. We overcomplicate things. The Holy Spirit didn't make things hard. When it comes to gifts of healings, they often flow together with other gifts, like the gift of faith or the word of knowledge. And we see this a lot with like healing evangelists, where God will say, I want to work on knees, or I want to work on hearts, or I want to work on eyes, or whatever. And as that word is called out, people come forward and the hand, hands are laid on them and they're healed. And so we don't need to be wrapped up in how it happens, just do it however the Holy Spirit prompts you. You know, we often see, like, uh, uh, hear stories of Catherine Kuhlman, and that's how she flowed. It was that God would just give her a word of knowledge. This is what's going on in somebody. And then healing would flow. You know, she didn't even have to lay hands on a lot of people. You know, um, one of my instructors back in the 70s, he took his unbelieving dad to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting in L.A., and uh, his dad was very much not wanting to go, and he was suffering from a very, very bad case of gout. So much so that he could barely get a running shoe on with the laces pulled out. His foot had just swollen up. It was really painful. And he's like, just come with me. And his dad's like, I don't want to go and hear that lady. Why would I do that? And he's like, just, what's it going to hurt? 
it's one night. Just come spend, if, if anything, you just spent the night with me, and that's good enough. Just come. And so they, they sat down, and they, they were a little, little ways back in the auditorium, and as she began to minister in, through the power of the Holy Spirit, she just said, in aisle 31, seat 10, God is healing you of gout. And so he looked, and he's like, counting up, and he's like, row 31. I'm in seat 10. And as, he, as, he, as the realization hit him, he said he felt the power of God begin to go into his foot, and it just began to shrink right up, and everything was made well. And he gave his heart to Jesus that night. Why? Because it should point people to Jesus. Not to yourself, but to Jesus. And so however it comes, you just say yes and do it. You know, if we look at first, or 2 Kings chapter 5, we have the Syrian general who comes to uh, the prophet Elisha, and he's expecting to do something hard in order to get his healing. And in verse 10 of chapter 5, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him. He didn't even go himself. He sends a messenger to this prestigious general, and he just says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. And he said, why would I do that? There's better rivers back in Syria. Why would I get in the dirty Jordan River? And one of the servants said, sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but um, if he asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? And so the Syrian general laid down his pride, he got in the river, and he was made whole. You know, we see the gifts of healings flowing through Philip the Evangelist. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Why? Because Jesus was exalted. People began to wonder, look and say, maybe I've had it wrong. Hallelujah. So we have the three gifts of power. It's the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. You know, the interesting thing is we, we like to talk about with raising the dead, you need all three in operation. You need the confidence that says, man, this person's coming back from the dead. You need the working of miracles to bypass the natural course of order, which is dead people stay dead. And then you need the gifts of healings to restore that body back to health. So what's the difference between miracles of healing that we see with the working of miracles and the gifts of healings? One is restoring a body that is already in a natural state. The working of miracles, when we see healing come through that, it is go bypassing the natural course of order, and it's often used to restore things that are missing, like organs and body parts. That's more of a working of miracles in it, where gifts of healings takes like a sickness and removes it. Working of miracle gives back what's been taken away. You know, I love the story of uh, Joseph Morris. He was preaching, and he had a word, word of knowledge come up saying that there's somebody here having pain in their, or something wrong. He wasn't specific. He said, there's something wrong with your hand. And he's thinking, you know, someone's got a broken finger or a sprained finger or something like that. And the guy came up, and he holds up his hand, and he's missing some fingers. 
And he said as soon as he got up close and he lifted up his hand and he saw that he was like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, like, I can't give this man back his fingers. But as he stepped back, the gift of faith took over and all of a sudden, shoo, bones shot out of those fingers. And he said then the, the muscles and tendons started forming and then the skin going up and the fingernails back and he's just kind of sat back and he's like, well, that wasn't me, that was God. <laughs> all he was was faithful to call out what God had put on his heart. And that's all we are ever asked to do. You cannot make something happen. You're not the miracle worker. You're not the healer. But Jesus, your brother, is who wants to work through you. Amen? Father, we thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. We thank you for the gift of faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healing. We thank you that they are, as you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, we know that these are still in operation today. And so we open our hearts to be acceptant of them, Father, to be open, to be used by you as you need. And we say thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, some of our work care team is going to be over here at the front. If you need prayer for anything, they would be more than happy to agree with you, to lay hands on you. Whatever it is you're going through, I don't believe we should ever come to church and leave without addressing the issues that are pressing. We should find someone who will believe with us and they would be more than welcome to do that. More than happy to do that. If you want to give today, you can do so. Uh, there's cards in the seats.